welcome to The Corporate Athlete, Episode 2, Part 2. I'm your host, Rachel Findler. I work and reside in London, UK, and I help companies around the world implement health programs. Having been a professional extreme skier, I realized how many companies could benefit from implementing the athlete mentality. Athletes have great resilience, drive and motivation. They're not afraid to fail. They have amazing tools and techniques to help them handle stress and pressure, but also they have a wonderful support team surrounding them. So I'm interviewing professional athletes, coaches, health practitioners in the sports world to share their athlete mindset to help inspire and make you and your work environment thrive. In this episode, we are talking with Hugo Rambasson, president of the Cambridge University Boat Club. He's also the cox to the crew that rode their way to victory in this year's boat race against Oxford. Coxing has to be one of the toughest tasks. You have to keep the crew motivated and working together the whole way down the course. Just like in a managerial role or maybe as a team leader, you have to keep your team motivated. So we're going to talk to Hugo about the techniques that he uses to keep his crew motivated and we also discuss the recruitment stages he takes to pick his team. Thank you Hugo for being here with us today and a big congratulations to you and your crew for your win this year at the boat race. That is quite a spectacular achievement for your first year as president of the Men's Cambridge Club. Yeah, it was um, you know a real honour to win um, to win our race and to lead the club to you know very good set of results was um, you know a nice way to cap off my time at university. Oh, so this is your final year? Yeah, it's my my uh, last of four years, and I'd I'd lost my previous three races, so it, uh, it was pretty special to kind of manage to go out on a high. Um, that must have felt so rewarding on the last chance to come and win. Yeah, I think um, you know very daunting going into it, obviously, because. Um, kind of to go out only having lost would have been very tough, but yeah, ultimately hugely rewarding and, and um, you know, to keep everything in perspective, you know, of course it had been a hard journey and I was very, um, you know, overall disappointed with some of my previous races, but to kind of get to turn things around and have that experience of coming back from a series of tough results was, um, you know, hugely satisfying and it was, you know, great to do it with a lot of guys I've become very close with over a number of years. Well, let's just talk about overcoming those, um, the losses that you had before, because I can imagine it would be very easy to be defeated by these losses and particularly give up or maybe find the inability to find the motivation to come back from that. How on earth do you keep going and then, you know, find that fuel in you to come back with a win? Um... I think there's just every every year I've kind of had a sense of unfinished business and I think it's because none of the races I lost were very big losses. They're kind of the three races each on their own are kind of races where for various reasons we just didn't quite deliver but we were like they I always had this sense that we were very close to being um you know in a place where we could aspire to win those uh races. Um so it wasn't the the motivation for me was kind of just finding that extra edge that would push us over the limit. It wasn't kind of I didn't I never felt defeated because I always knew coming off the races that we had had opportunities to win them and we just hadn't per- quite performed well enough in critical moments and it's kind of just turning around those small moments and stacking things up so that in those moments um, we'd be on the right side of them going forwards. Um, that motivated me to come back but you know there's never a sense of defeat is always kind of going back to the drawing board and just figuring out you know ways we could improve and get better the next year 
I think that's an excellent way to look at it is just constant improvement and you know your capabilities, you know your crew's capabilities and you know that everything will come together eventually. So it sounds like every time you come off the water you're coming off with motivation but tools that you can work on and continue to improve. Yeah, I think um, you know our season is it's relatively long, it's kind of seven months long so I, I think especially early on through the first half it's you know the races is still so far away it's kind of you, you don't want to be thinking about it too much and so I think we operate much more on a kind of day by day week by week basis um, of you know trying to track our improvements and if you know what worked really well this year was kind of every every week we had this sense that we'd improved on the previous week and so you know even when you're still kind of 20 weeks out from racing you know you had this sense of developing momentum and developing confidence that ultimately when you got into the run into the race um, meant everyone just knew we were in a place we wanted to be in, we were, we were capable of winning. So yeah, it's it's not really, you know, sometimes you have to step back from kind of the bigger picture and just appreciate small things and take the time to, you know, take the time to appreciate the kind of the marginal improvements you're making along the way because you can't always just make big improvements and big strides. You know, kind of the big strides are made up of a lot of very small strides you accumulate over, you know, over your training horizon. That's an excellent point, and I think something maybe people struggle with when they you know, start going to the gym or maybe they change their diet for the first time, they maybe overlook these small improvements that they're making and they expect these massive changes within a month. But you know, the reality is that we can achieve a lot in your seven months that you have training for a particular race. That is a long amount of time, and you will be, I'm sure you're surprised, you know, leaps and bounds that you come on within seven months. And so just going back to the beginning of the seven months, how do you begin your recruitment process to devise a crew to get your eight men and you as the cocks to come in and, and create this crew? So I think it's very important we run a kind of as open and transparent a selection process as possible. So at the, at the start of the year, as the captain of the team, the, the president of the club, I invite um, kind of any member of the university who wants to trial to just turn up and give it a go. As we have initial testing in the first week and, you know, some years you'll have something like 40, 50 athletes on the ERG, you know, five, six coxes turn up, you know, something like that. So you'll have wow, up, to, yeah, up to 50 people in the room ultimately going for nine seats. So, you know, through the initial testing in the first week, we kind of slim the team down a bit. But, you know, you're still usually left with 30 athletes, five coxes kind of thing. And then throughout the season, just we're constantly um, assessing everyone and, um you know, throughout, especially the kind of first half of the year, we're just over time cutting people from the bottom end of the team so that by Christmas time, we're in our final team, which is about 20 rowers and three coxes um, for uh, the two racing crews on the day, the Bluebird and Goldie. So we kind of go from the starting group, 40 to 45 um, athletes, five, six coxes, down to 20 athletes, three coxes, and we're kind of constantly um, assessing guys and cutting them. And so that's you know, it's, it's very important we do things that way because there has to be a sense that everyone, um, you know, everyone who turns up gets a, you know, has a crack at it. And, you know, we're not prejudging anyone or we're not turning people away because we don't think they'll be good enough. So it's very fair. We give everyone a go. But at the same time, you know, the cunning process is pretty brutal because, you know, especially, you know, for me in my first year at university, I was towards that bottom end of the team early on. And so you're kind of constantly on edge through those first couple of months that, you know, you'd come into the gym one day and 
you know, the coach will pull you aside for a talk and, and tell you you're not staying with the team anymore. So it's, you know, it's very, um, it's a very demanding and stressful period for a lot of guys, but at the same time, it's very important it happens because it sharpens up the guys who, who end up staying with the team because they've been under that competitive pressure um, for a sustained period of time. And for the guys who don't make the team, they know they've been treated fairly and ultimately they'll be able to point at exactly why they haven't gone forward through the process. Wow, so that is quite um, a grueling process, but I like how you approach each individual, not prejudged at all. Everyone's given an equal opportunity to go ahead and, and find their place in their boat. And do you, is it obvious, can you see chemistry between people when you get them in a boat? Is it very obvious when you find the crew that you find that everything just works? Or is it maybe that you spot a couple people that seem to really work well together in a boat and you kind of put it together piece by piece? Yeah, it's, it's very much uh, piece by piece. I think, um, you know, early on, it is obvious there'll be a couple of guys who are, you know, fairly standout. Because, you know, especially with the boat race, you get guys coming in, of, you know, an international caliber, um, you know, very, very high level athletes. So, you know, it'll be kind of, you, you'll get a handful of guys, it's obvious they're going to sit in the blue boat because they've got international experience and, you know, they're proven athletes. But again, more than anyone, they need to prove themselves, you know, because there can be a sense that you're just picking them because of what they've done before. But then beyond that, um, it is very much about, you know, units and guys who work well together. And, and that takes time to piece together through the season. So, you know, if you imagine if the worst guy on your boat, basically between the worst guy and then the, the next guy who doesn't make the boat. So the eighth and the ninth man, effectively, um, you know, the difference individually they're going to make to the speed of the boat is incredibly marginal. You know, between them, it's very hard to tell who actually is better at rowing. And so it kind of comes down to towards the bottom end of the crew, who works best with the guys above them, who brings out the most from the guys around them. And so that is really a question of units. And it's, you know, really a process of trial and error. And again, you know, we're often rotating, rotating guys around in the crews, making sure everyone gets a fair go and kind of looking at how different crews are performing. So it takes time to figure that out. But it is, you know, there's no... There's no science behind it. It's a bit of an art and, you know, it kind of comes down to the coach's perception of how guys are performing with other guys. And so there is a subjective element, but we, you know, we try to make it as fair um, as possible by giving everyone a go. Um, I would like to comment on the being the weakest person in the boat as someone who is the weakest person in the boat. Um, since moving back to the UK, I took up rowing and I was very determined to qualify for um, a crew. And I managed to get on the eight at Eton Excelsior to row the Putney head race. And I was definitely the weakest person in the crew because I just learned how to row that year. And all the other girls in the boat had essentially been rowing a lot longer than I had, if not into their teens and childhoods. And for me, it made me work so much harder because I had something to prove. And I knew that I could not have a slack day because everyone in the boat knew that I was the weakest link. So if I didn't show up for a training session, then it would be very noticed. And for me, I sort of enjoyed being the weakest link because it made me work that much harder to, to be there. Um, I think my experience as a competitive skier helped maybe with the mental aspect, being able to show up on a race day and have the focus, have the, the calm and the clarity to race. Um, but yeah, the, the training was extremely tough. It was really, really tough. And I thought skiers were tough trainers until I met rowers. And when I first showed up to the rowing training, you know, these guys were falling off the rowing machines. Um, and then I saw videos of guys training with puke buckets as well, so that they could puke in these buckets with all the lactic acid. I mean, is, is that, you know, how you guys train here? Is it that vigorous? 
we definitely train hard. I think, um, you know, because of the nature of our race, you know, effectively being kind of 18 to 20 minutes, it's, um, it's a very aerobic effort. So a lot of the work we do is just very long, steady mileage. So it's like, it, it won't have the characteristics you're talking about where it's like guys puking stuff, but you know, the guys will, you know, they'll come in in the morning, they'll do an hour on the rowing machine, and then we'll go out in the afternoon and do like an hour and a half continuous on the water. So, you know, in a day they'll be doing two hours, two and a half hours of, you know, just continuous steady exercise. You know, they're kind of heart rate, not, not maximal, but you know, you know, to good steady state level. And that over time, that builds the kind of aerobic uh, base you need to race for 18 minutes flat out. So it's, you know, our training is, we'd probably do 11, 12 sessions a week. And a lot of that is just long, steady mileage. Um, kind of like how, you know, pro cyclists might train. Um, but then, yeah, you know, every week, um, you know, twice a week, we'll throw in pieces or, you know, kind of more intense work to start sharpening us up for racing. And so that stuff is, we do a lot of work side by side because a big part of rowing is the ability to, it's kind of relatively, it's easy to row well when you're on your own and you don't have pressure on you it's much harder to row to that same standard when you've got a crew next to you kind of um you know coming into you putting pressure on you and you've you've got the distraction of being side by side so we do a lot of sharper work side by side to kind of develop um develop the right uh, mental frame within which we can kind of execute our races confidently and almost forget we're next to another crew um so yeah, you know, a lot of a lot of steady slow mileage, you know, punctuated by bursts of sharper work, um, where you know guys really do get at each other. Um, obviously, you were the cox for the winning crew this year, and when I took up rowing, um, a lot of people asked me like, "What the hell does the cox do?" You know, they they naively just thought that you were just steering. And when my friends came down to watch me race, they realized that the cox was screaming at us the whole way down. I know each cox has their own style and how they talk to their crew. But they said, what, what the hell were they saying? So can you just explain the role of the Cox and what it is that you're saying to your crew? Yeah, so, um, I mean, on the tideway in Putney, the steering is very, very critical, especially when you're side by side, because you're kind of competing for the, for the best water. Um, so the steering is a big element. But in terms of talking to the guys, you're, you're basically kind of a coach in the boat. Um, you know, and especially when you're racing, you don't have your coach with you. So... Um, you know, we'll have a lot of technical focuses we'll have worked on throughout the year, you know, ways in which we want to deliver our rowing stroke and deliver our rhythm and our pattern. And so for me, it's kind of uh, coaching and leading that within the boat. So, you know, if guys are getting a bit tight and they're starting to come off the pattern and not row together, you know, I'm there to kind of feed them technical reminders and coach them back into their rhythm from inside the crew. So, you know, a big part of what I'm doing is, is kind of acting like a coach, but from within the boat. Um, and if you can do that well in a racing situation, you know, you're able to keep your guys rowing uh, as efficiently as possible. And over time, you know, you deliver huge gains compared to a crew that's just working hard but not rowing well. Um, the second part is kind of motivation. You know, you know, over time, I build up a very close bond with my with my teammates. And so, again, throughout a, through a race, I'm, you know, I'm talking to them. I'm kind of in their ear. I'm keeping them on it. Um, and we're kind of all feeding off each other. So, you know, the guys will... You know, there'll be a bit of energy in the boat, but I really have to lead that and make sure that um, we're kind of always stepping up, always kind of confident and, and exerting um, ourselves in the right way, you know, in a way that's positive. So, I mean, you know, always keeping the guys hyped up and positive, even, you know, when they're 10, 11 minutes in, kind of, you know, lights are going out, they're, you know, 
focusing in on this increasingly narrow tunnel. You know, it's really a really tough spot for them to be in. Um, and I'm kind of just staying in there, keeping them up and moving. And then the final point is, you know, especially for in, in any race, but especially kind of on a race on the tideway, which is, you know, 7K long track with bends and stuff, is just tactical like execution. So, you know, I have to respond if they're changing weather conditions, like we come around a corner and the wind shifts um, and the water gets rough or... Um, you know, we, we want to push on to try to break the race open. The other crew's trying to push on to break the race open. We, we have to respond. I have to kind of be reading the race and make sure that I'm leading the, our, the, the execution of our race plan from within our boat. And that, you know, the boat race is a hugely tactical event. So kind of having, again, someone who reads the race well and, and is able to respond, you know, that much better than um, the guy you're next to. Uh, can be a big advantage. So those are kind of the, the three main things that the Cox brings. But it's you know it's really about being a coach um, in the boat, executing the tactical plan, and you know on the tideway a lot of you know steering, making sure you're staying in the fastest water. I know for me that even when I'm training um, on the ergo by myself, I I feel lost without a Cox. Um, you know because obviously when we train together as a crew, just on the rowing machines, the Cox is there to even talk us through the training sessions and. For me, that just makes a huge difference. Um, having someone telling me things to focus, like, you know, sit up straight, focus on the legs, you know, you're not pushing your big toe down, you know, whatever it is, just the smallest corrections can make such a difference and make my session so much more efficient. Um, and I, I really, really admire the role of the Cox. I mean, to, to find the words, to be able to communicate clearly while you're also uh, steering your way down is, is a huge, challenging task. And, you performed it brilliantly this year, so thank you so much, Hugo, and congratulations. No, thank you very much. I appreciate talking to you. An inspirational journey of persistence and making those marginal gains to achieve the bigger goal. Hugo stuck at it for three years and finally on the fourth year he got his win. No wonder he's the motivator in the crew as the Cox. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate us five stars. And for more information on how to make your company culture healthier and more productive, visit the YouThrive website. That's youthriveltd.com. And for The Corporate Athlete, you can find us on our socials on Twitter at The Corp Athlete and for Instagram at the underscore corporate underscore athlete. I look forward to seeing you in a couple weeks.